the automated podcast. Whenever you interact with something that should have a scent in a virtual reality. There is also, of course, the haptic glove and bodysuit. Though they are still being developed, they still do enable you to uh, feel when you're coming into contact or when you're touching something in virtual reality. So though these are add-ons and still being developed in most part, uh, you can kind of get a sense of where VR is going, but we'll see whether these add-ons are actually included in the headsets in the coming years. But let's now move back to blockchain and specifically what exactly is it? So I've had a lot of conversations with people, especially over the last year or two, about what exactly blockchain is, the applications, and whether it'll have any actual use or if it's just been overhyped. So as blockchain is one of the newest technologies that has only recently hit mainstream consciousness and isn't a tangible product that one can just pick up, it is often misunderstood. So you've probably heard some of the terms connected to blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, decentralized network, cryptography, distributed ledger, magic internet money, uh, enterprise blockchain, cryptocurrency, blockchain miners, etc. But how are these actually connected and how will this technology actually impact the future of jobs might be less well known. So let's break down and try to understand what blockchain actually is. So I think that the best place to start with this is the word blockchain itself. So try to imagine blocks of digital information that can represent pretty much anything. But let's use blockchain's first application, Bitcoin, as an example going forward. So Bitcoin is a digital currency. So the digital information in Bitcoin's blocks would be something like a transaction date, time, or amount, as well as who is doing the transacting. Although the who is relatively anonymous and uses digital signatures, which function much more like a username. And when a block fills up with enough information or transactions, it is added to the blockchain, which is simply a series of blocks linked together. But for this new addition to happen, the block needs to be verified in order to make sure that the information is actually legitimate. Much how like a bank verifies your transaction to pay your rent or anything else, making sure that you actually have the money in your account before making the payment. So once verified and added to the blockchain, that block itself is given an identification code called a hash. So with the blockchain, this verification is actually done with a network of thousands of computers across the entire world. And in Bitcoin's case, this is roughly about 100,000. Thus, the blockchain itself is said to be distributed and decentralized. So no one single person owns the information as a copy of the entire blockchain exists on every computer across the network. The value of this is that it is challenging and costly to hack or corrupt it as you would need about 51% of the operating hash rate or computer power of the network in order to make a double spend transaction. For a double spend transaction, I think the easiest way to think about this is just counterfeit money. So in order to do this, at least in Bitcoin's case, it would take at least an estimated 1 billion US dollars, which potentially outweighs the benefit in undertaking a 51% attack, thus making the network much more secure. Additionally, the past records as well as the sender and receiver's information is encrypted using the AES cipher, the same cipher used by the NSA as a tool of choice used for encrypting information in general. So I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to read more about this, but as I think it's a little bit too technical for the scope of this episode, we'll just leave it at that. 
So those that are doing the block verification are also called blockchain miners, and they are incentivized to do this by receiving some Bitcoin with every single block that is added to the blockchain. Uh, it's about 12.5 Bitcoin per block. But to do so, they need to prove that they have actually contributed to the verification process through something called proof of work. So proof of work is essentially an attempt to solve a complex math problem that once solved allows you to add your verified block to the blockchain, thus gaining the reward. So if you're still not completely sure what a blockchain is and more or less how it functions, I've put some short and simple videos that attempt to explain what blockchain is in the show notes for you. But for the sake of this podcast, we can understand blockchain to be a decentralized, distributed public ledger that is resistant to malicious modification. But where exactly did this technology come from? So though blockchain was initially described as far back as 1991 by some cryptographer colleagues working at a U.S. telecoms research company, it really wasn't until 2008 that an anonymous online entity by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto published a white paper titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. So this white paper document defines how to create a secure and transparent digital currency without the involvement of a central entity or bank. So though the document did not contain the term blockchain, it did definitely outline the way blockchain technology works. So Satoshi actually launched uh, the Bitcoin blockchain in January of 2009, but he left the project after some time and handed over the development to some other developers. So many guesses as to who this person or group of people have been made, but to this day it is still actually unknown who this online entity actually is. So Bitcoin came out almost 11 years ago, and there have been a lot of developments in the space since. So though Bitcoin is the first and still the main example of a public and open blockchain, one where anyone can, with the proper equipment and verification of course, add data to it as well as view that data. However, there are many blockchains now that limit editing and viewing. So private blockchains limit editing access, but can be either open or closed to view. And this can be understood much like the closed intranets of large corporations versus the open and public internet, which we're all familiar with today. And much like in the mid-90s, where there was a battle between corporate intranets versus the public internet, many are describing a war taking place today between public blockchains, mostly characterized as cryptocurrencies, and private blockchains, generally referred to as enterprise blockchains. So though there are current and possible applications for each, ranging from currencies to voting to medical and government records to tax and military uses, as with any new and emerging industry that has a massive potential market, the victor will generally come from having the more intuitive, user-friendly experience that leads to mass adoption. But as I know that some of you who listen to the podcast have already looked into uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency a little bit more, do you think that there will be a predominant winner? Do you think it'll either be public or private blockchains? Or do you think that they'll be able to coexist in the future? So why don't we turn our attention now to blockchain's impact on work? So much like uh, VR and AR, as talked about in the last episode, blockchain is in an emerging industry. And with that comes new jobs and job growth. So as mentioned, there are thousands of public blockchains. Remember, every cryptocurrency is potentially a company or at least a project run by a number of people. And the private blockchain space is also growing rapidly. So for perhaps the most well-known job position, the blockchain developers, there exists as of late 2018, 
some 80,000 positions across the world. And these are predominantly in the US, India, UK, France, and Canada. But I think a much more interesting concern are the jobs that blockchain will impact negatively. So up until now, the main example used in this episode has been about Bitcoin, as it was really the first blockchain application, as well as the most known and perhaps the easiest to understand. So Bitcoin and many cryptocurrencies, as the name suggests, act as new currencies, and this is seen as many as the main impact that blockchain can bring about. So blockchain allows Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to operate without the need for a central authority by spreading its operations across a network of computers, as discussed previously. So this not only reduces risk in general, but also primarily eliminates many of the processing and transaction fees that many of us experience today. So in effect, this can greatly reduce, if not outright eliminate, the need for large parts of governments and banks, depending on the scale of financial administration. And one can argue even more importantly, that it gives those in countries with unstable currencies a more stable currency with more applications and a wider network of individuals and institutions they can do business with, both uh, domestically as well as internationally. So if a user's bank collapses, or if they live in a country with an unstable government, the value of their currency is clearly at risk. It is no mere coincidence then that Bitcoin was actually created around the 2008 financial crisis. And in fact, the very first block that was mined, the Genesis block, was actually implanted with a reference to a London Times article that discussed the failure of the government bailout packages to banks to bail out the economy. So a particularly strong example with this is Venezuela, where the hyperinflation is expected to reach 10 million percent this year, and many have actually turned to use Bitcoin or Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies already. Even charities are using them to avoid the inflation of the fiat currency and bypass government economic control. So this is why it's actually argued by many people that blockchain and cryptocurrencies in particular are much more useful for the developing world than it is for the developed world. But going back to the example of Venezuela, it's really easy to see that this theme of disintermediation or removal of the third party, middleman or intermediary is really prevalent throughout the discussion of blockchain's impact on jobs. So one, if not the most notorious example of third parties that blockchain is described as impacting is something called remittances. And this is where money flows from high-wage economies to low-wage economies from family members as well as friends. So the World Bank actually estimated that the official recorded annual remittance amount reached some $529 billion back in 2018. This is a US dollars. But the aggregate cost of sending remittances the year before was just over 30 billion. And this is roughly equivalent to the total non-military foreign aid budget of the United States, which is pretty dramatic. So the costs vary depending on country and as well as the amount sent, but the process can be exceptionally complicated due to the growing amount of hidden fees, paperwork, as well as middlemen. So blockchain technologies can really impact this area by allowing the sender and receiver to directly exchange funds and drastically reducing, if not completely eliminating, the associated fees in doing so. However, blockchains can do more than just store digital transactions. They can also store data about points in a supply chain, uh, medical or tax information, military records, or even real estate. 
So though most of the upcoming discussion is mostly hypothetical, as there are few use cases available so far, but if you know of a specific killer application out there, please let me know as I'd be very interested to hear about it. So please keep in mind that there are, for the most part, attempts to bring these applications that will be described uh, to life both through a public as well as a private blockchain. Hence, this is where the idea of a war or battle that I mentioned before between these two types of blockchains. So the first we can look at is property. So today, a physical deed must be delivered to a government employee at a local recording office where it is manually entered into a city's central database. So human error and inefficiency, as you can imagine, is absolutely riddled in this process. But the application of blockchain can have a massive impact by storing as well as verifying property ownership, as well as dealing with the transfer of it. And as you can imagine, the same can happen for most large or luxury assets, from real estate to vehicles to even expensive paintings, really eliminating the need for any third-party mediator. So next we can look at supply chain management. Suppliers can use blockchain to record the origins of materials that have been purchased, as well as the date and state or even the quality of a good. So this would allow companies to verify the authenticity of their products, along with even certain labels like organic or local or even fair trade. So this exact same idea is absolutely applicable to healthcare, where the authenticity of drugs are actually threatened. And if uh, verified on a blockchain, counterfeit drugs will be much easier to detect and ultimately remove. However, there are two large predominant issues with the examples above, as they interact with physical products. So if something is scanned in the real world and digitally added to a blockchain, the information is really hard to change, as mentioned before. So if the situation was in fact wrong, say a certain medicine was in fact counterfeit when it was scanned, then there is an error right at the outset and corrupts the validity of the blockchain. Additionally, with the interaction between blockchain and fiscal goods, there is currently the need for humans to do most of the initial verifying or at least the initial scanning which doesn't remove a lot of intermediaries as initially planned and also introduces further human error. However, with the introduction of IoT or Internet of Things technologies, which we'll take up next week, this could actually be realized. So finally, I want to very briefly introduce smart contracts as they are a relatively new feature to blockchains and can potentially remove the need for many positions, especially within the legal profession and even maybe lawyers. So a smart contract is a computer code that can be built into the blockchain to negotiate a contract agreement where the terms of that agreement can be carried out when certain conditions are met. So therefore, smart contracts could allow the entire legal agreement between contracting parties to be laid out in its code, and the automated enforcement of the underlying legal agreement means that lawyers will predominantly no longer be needed. But, however, with the current limitations of smart contracts, it is more likely for the time being that the roles of lawyers will change slightly to working with smart contracts instead. But unfortunately, this is a little bit out of the scope of this podcast. So for a much deeper look at the subject, I'll have a link to an article in the show notes. So there are, of course, many, many other implications for blockchain beyond the level of description that I can give here. 
but I also plan to revisit blockchain in a future episode with a guest, and we can dive into some of the more peripheral, but also interesting applications like voting or generating scarce digital goods, etc. But hopefully this has given you at least a small look into this emerging trustless technology that some claim will even have more impact than the internet. So that's all for this episode, but what do you think? Will blockchain be a technology that removes the middleman in many industries, or is it just some overly hyped technology? Let me know over Twitter or LinkedIn, and as always, leave a review or rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. The Automated Podcast.